0: This special 30A Radio presentation is made possible by our friends at Bud and Allie's Restaurant Group, located on the beach in Seaside, Florida. So Robert Davis inherited 80 acres of beachfront property along Florida's Gulf Coast. The only problem is that about 35 years ago, practically no one wanted to live here. Um, So local legend, at least, has it that Robert stood on the side of County Road 30A and in the sweltering Florida sunshine, gave away free popcorn to anyone who would stop and listen to his story and to his vision. Um, His vision was Seaside, a new kind of town that would eventually not only succeed beyond most everyone's expectations, But it would also inspire a global movement known as new urbanism and would spawn the design of over 600 other communities and towns and revitalization projects around the globe so is the legend true did you actually stand on the side of the road and
1: hand out free popcorn well it's almost like that we we (laughs) actually created the embryo of downtown seaside with what we call the seaside saturday market and Mm. Evolved because of the sweltering heat into the seaside Saturday sunset scene. <laughs> so it went from eight to f- eight to five eight to five to nine. That really made a lot more sense in terms of the timing, and we did uh, try to sell shrimp and. Uh, what shrimp couldn't be sold got turned into gumbo for the next weekend. <laughs> we couldn't get a beer and wine license, so we basically tapped a keg and uh, gave the beer away. <laughs> so right, It wasn't popcorn, it was beer.
0: <laughs> All right, well, that, that, that works too, I guess. The
1: other thing we gave away was uh, iced tea and lemonade in great abundance when we finally had a sales office and a kind of quasi-model home to show, people would uh, come and try to grab a brochure and move on to the next place. And if they were insistent on moving on down the road to Sandestin or whatever else was uh, Mm -hmm. on the market at the time, uh, we knew they weren't our customers. If they'd sit on a porch rocker and have some iced tea and talk to me or Daryl or Mm -hmm. Jackie or Donna or Fred Bland, who was our first salesperson... Mm -hmm. Uh, we knew we had at least a shot at getting them to uh, think about writing us a check. Yeah.
0: And how much were those first checks? Like, how much did those first lots go for? I mean, did, did you... Uh,
1: they went for... They were pretty expensive. They, they were 15000 to 25000 for a lot. Wow. Seventy five to one hundred and twenty five for a house. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the time... And at the time, know. that was real money because you could get a... House in, in Seagrove for 50000 or less. Right. And you could get a lot for 7500 So we were charging, you know, twice a as premium. much as, yeah. uh, as in Seagrove. Were there any funny
0: trades or strange deals that you brokered to kind of get the first few people on board? I mean, were there any uh, oddball offers or.
1: Well, we did have an opportunity to uh, take. A 19, mid-60s Mercedes convertible and trade for a lot. <laughs> and did you do that deal? No, we didn't because I needed the money. <laughs> right. I really liked the car. I would have uh, taken it. But I knew it was going to be a lot more of a money sink than... Right. Keeping the lot would have been. So the guy ended up buying the lot anyway.
0: Right. Well, every town needs a founder, and it obviously needs settlers. You know, the, the pioneers who show up and, and become your first residents. How important were people like the Modicas to the long-term success of Seaside?
1: Well, I think extremely important. The, the Modicas were the kind of ultimate pioneers in that they finally bought a lot after Years of sitting on the porch. They drank mm-hmm. a lot of ice, too. <laughs> and uh, took a lot of persuading. But the place really resonated for them. And I saw later on when Bob Vila did an interview with them why it resonated so much. Because they had a picture uh, in their above their mantle of Charlie and Sarah as – she was a teenager. He was mm-hmm. 20, 21 as kids standing in front of a house that looked just like the one that they were living in, oh wow, in Panama City Beach—that's mm. where they met.
0: The irony that now they're selling all the lemonade and tea the, to the rest of us, I guess. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that was really—I mean, not only did they buy the house, but then they actually opened up a lemonade stand, or the Sip and Dip,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: squeezed fresh lemonade and scooped ice cream, and and uh, there's a wonderful story. Uh, kind of emblematic story around the sip-and-dip, they were scooping the local, I think, flavor-rich ice cream. Mm-hmm. And we had a friend who had a Ben and Jerry's franchise, and they knew that they couldn't pay for a franchise, but they, he persuaded the Ben and Jerry's guys, when Ben and Jerry were still s- making and mm-hmm. selling the stuff, that they needed to be in Seaside, and they needed to sell their ice cream to the sip-and-dip. Um, wow. So it was a kind of convoluted deal where the ice cream had to go to our friend in Miami and then get shipped up to here. And the, the Moticus said, we will never be able to sell a scoop of ice cream for a dollar. People were <laughs> used to paying 50 cents for ice cream. They're not going to buy their kids ice cream for a dollar. said, trust me, they will do it. That's and awesome. particularly buy themselves a scoop where they wouldn't have bought a scoop for uh, – Mm. of the 50 cent ice cream because they're more concerned about if they're going to ingest all that sugar and all that fat they want it to be really really good (laughs) (laughs) you and
0: daryl obviously make a a great team what sorts of ideas did she bring to the table that perhaps you never would have thought of you know
1: daryl has uh, a much more developed eye than I do. I'm I can walk by things and not notice. She notices everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind of always daydreaming about something out there, future, and not ob- not as mm-hmm. I'm not as observant as she is about her environment. So she's constantly wandering around seaside and picking up on things that could be better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing that she has is a psychologist perspective on how people behave in general and particularly how they uh, relate to their shopping and Mm -hmm. dining environments. So Mm -hmm. She's been enormously helpful, I believe, to all of the merchants in Seaside in Mm -hmm. helping them understand uh, their customers, mm-hmm. help, helping them do a better job of displays, visual merchandising, uh, and even just what what they have on offer, so she's right. helped a number of new stores with their original concept mm-hmm. and, and nurturing and developing and, and refining those concepts. Uh, well, speaking season. of
0: which, you know, the, the, the food merchants that are along what has now become known as Airstream Row has kind of become an iconic part of Seaside. Is it true that Airstreams played a part of your original vision in Seaside, that they've always been part of your your thoughts?
1: Yeah, very much so. We actually had this idea that <clears throat> because our lots were expensive, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, that one of the ways we would have uh, enable people to – buy a lot and take their time building their dream house on it was that they could just build a screen porch and that would satisfy our building requirements and they could park an Airstream in the front yard Mm. or inside the screen porch and that would give them a place to Hmm. take a shower and get out of the heat or the cold. And, in fact, we actually had one young couple build just the screen ports. They didn't even bother with the Airstream. <laughs> and they used the shower at the, at the pool. Wow. And, of course, they, did, they didn't do any cooking. They just went down to – I think they did have a barbecue. But basically they went downtown and ate at the sip and dip. or the uh,
0: Wow. So tell me about the first time you met uh, Dave Roshkob, the owner of uh, Bud and Alley's. How did you meet him?
1: Well, Dave said that we met when they were out here surfing, mm-hmm. and I don't remember that, but I remember very distinctly going to Le Cezanne, which was the best restaurant by far in this area, and being very impressed, and Dave was uh, out front as a waiter uh, because at night there was no surfing, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Scott, his surfing buddy, was back in the kitchen and Scott's dad ran the place, and I tried valiantly to persuade Scott's dad to open up a branch of La Cézanne mm-hmm. in uh, Seaside. And he looked; he came out and looked at the place and said, this place is really on the boondocks. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to come here. <laughs> <laughs> and and
0: when Bud and Alley's opened, there were only a handful of homes here. Is that right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, Bud Alley's actually followed a series of restaurants. I see. It had been at least one of them fairly successful. We Mm -hmm. had uh, a place, it started as a shrimp shack, Mm -hmm. and we sold boiled shrimp initially out of an eight-foot square plywood shack, and Mm -hmm. then we discovered this palatial a uh, 15-by-20-foot uh, sharecropper's cabin and moved it to Seaside along with its twin. Mm-hmm. They're now the entrance to Bud and Alley's and to the existing shrimp shack. So we opened the Seaside Shrimp Shack. Then the next year, uh, or the year after, uh, we found a guy um, who opened up something called the Seaside Grill. Mm-hmm. And... That was very successful, so much so that he took the money that I was paying him, which was partially uh, based on gross income. He never made any money, but right. I wanted him to create sales, and he did. And he took that and, and opened his own restaurant down the road, Peter mm-hmm. Mulcahy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a brief uh, flirtation with a mad Frenchman who opened up, the, <laughs> he t- converted the Seaside Grill into the uh, Seaside. Uh, what was it called? Into the Bistro. Okay. And that really crashed and burned, and mm. th- that was a point where I basically persuaded Scott and Dave just to take this place over, and they ran it for me for a couple of years, and course didn't make any money and I got Mm -hmm. really tired of subsidizing this Mm -hmm. thing I said you guys just take it you lease it from me uh, pay me $10 for all the kitchen equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and you're on your own. And that seemed to work out <laughs> and well. That worked
0: out great. <laughs> so, was there a tipping point, you know, whether you, you, you hear sometimes uh, that the Southern Living article uh, that originally uh, was written about Seaside helped put it on the map. There was the Truman Show, of course, uh, that came along and, and filmed here. Was there a tipping point where you kind of knew, okay, this thing is, is really is going to be big? Or, was it just a gradual process?
1: Well, it, it, you know, for the first few years, we had no idea whether this crazy idea would make it. And so we reserved some land to the east on the edge of Seagrove that we could simply sell off as $7,500 lots with no building requirements or mm-hmm. architectural code or any of that kind of uh, stuff that everybody said would make it impossible to uh, sell lots in Seaside. Um, I would say the tipping point probably was the Southern Living article. Lewis Joyner, the mm-hmm. uh, author and photographer of that article, did a masterful job of making it look as if there was something here, conveying mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of what was going to be here right. with very long shots that kind of compressed things and made it look like there was a lot mm. going on. Um, and then the, the next thing was uh, a show in New York that David Money and Kelly Easterling put together uh, that later became a book. But the show uh, at the Architectural League uh, and a symposium connected to the uh, the show was really a major move in getting us on the map nationally mm-hmm. globally because uh, Kurt Anderson, who was then the uh, architecture critic for Time Magazine wrote a wonderful article. Right. I remember and that. One. The Wall Street Journal wrote a wonderful article in the New York Times. So it really put us on the map. Mm-hmm.
0: So when the Truman Show approached you about filming here and I think, you know, uh, over time, The seaside stage has certainly softened and and it feels much more uh, organic and and real but at the time it probably felt a little bit like a movie set which has made it an ideal backdrop for a movie about a guy living in a pretend world and obviously uh, the Jim Carrey film was a big hit were there moments during that process of filming that you thought you had made a terrible mistake
1: well I wondered about it at the very beginning uh, and we did it in part because the place, in fact, didn't look much like a movie mm-hmm. set. It looked a little bit forlorn and abandoned and uh, kind of road hard and up wet because <laughs> we had just experienced Hurricane Opal. Ah. So it did relatively little physical damage to the place, but the tourists stayed away in droves because they thought the Gulf Coast had been wiped out. The road down the toward the west of us had washed out. There were several developments that simply vanished from mm-hmm. the planet mm-hmm. because they were so badly built. Uh, and for you know, at first we thought, oh, this is actually going to be great because all the national news media landed their helicopters on the <laughs> Lyceum lawn and did interviews and said, why is Seaside still here when these other places vanished? And I would explain that we actually had a building inspector who made sure that the places were nailed together properly. (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) And that we'd built, you know, a respectful distance from the beach and hadn't built on slabs and all that. But in fact, the tourists still stayed away and drove. So when Mm -hmm. Paramount, Uh, showed up, or Peter Weir and his wife Wendy showed up and said, we think that Seaside would be a good backdrop for this film, but you have to know this film is going to cast it in a pretty weird and Mm -hmm. negative light. And you also have to know that we will be as nice as we can be, but we're essentially an invading army and an occupying force. (laughs) 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 We would, uh, you know, I thought hard about it, and then I had developed a a kind of uh, pen pal friendship with uh, a guy who had been the architecture critic for the New York Times and was by then uh, working for the New Yorker, Paul Goldberger. Mm -hmm. And he and I had had an ongoing uh, pen pal, I think it was before Mm – I don't know if I had emailed in or not. But anyway, mm-hmm. we were we wrote each other back and forth several times, and I talked about this whole notion of architecture as stagecraft and mm-hmm. the relationship between the two and the long and illustrious history of set designers becoming architects, like Inigo Jones, who was mm. uh, later the architect to the uh, royal family in England, having originally done set design, and then Schenkel did set design toward the end of his career uh, as an illustrious architect. Mm -hmm. So we actually did a symposium. Paul couldn't make it to the symposium, but we had some really outstanding uh, architecture critics and Hmm. practicing architects along with uh, Peter and Dennis Gassner, the set designer, Mm -hmm. uh, and just talked about the relationship between architecture and stage design. Interesting. After all that, Paul wrote a wonderful article in The New Yorker, but it's still, the the fact that The Truman Show was here gave the people who hated Seaside more than ample excuse to write it <laughs> off as a statesman.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Well, it was a pretty prophetic film, just in in the world of reality TV. I mean, that really that movie came out before uh, that trend uh, began. And, it was and
1: very f- prescient. It was an amazing, and it happened
0: much faster, I think, than anybody yeah, could I don't have think imagined.
1: Anybody expected the predictions in that show to actually mm-hmm. become reality in the form of so-called reality shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, That quickly
0: Speaking of of surprises So thinking back as that young uh, Guy standing out there Selling shrimp on the side of the road What would have surprised That Robert Davis most About the way uh, we see Seaside today What would have surprised you most uh, To to be able to look forward to now
1: Well I I think That we Actually were Fairly conscious that we were doing something that, if it caught on, would uh, start a trend and and be part of a movement, Uh, what we didn't quite understand was how rapidly Seaside would gentrify, Mm -hmm. that people would really like the place and bid up the prices and build, build houses that went beyond the simple beach shacks that... We had experiences as children and thought we were simply rebuilding new versions of them with newer plumbing and newer wiring, Mm -hmm. indoor kitchens Mm -hmm. instead of outhouses. (laughs) Right, right. Well, what do you think –
0: is, is happening now. I, I think that you had these pioneers, you had these settlers, and then you've got all of these people who move here because they're attracted to the lifestyle. And I think it takes everybody, whether it's chefs and musicians and artisans and, and entrepreneurs, it takes everybody a few years to figure out how to live here, right? Because it's different than living in a, in a cosmopolitan center. And I think what we're seeing now is a little bit of a, a flip-flop renaissance. You know, you're seeing people who figured out how to survive and live, and now they're practicing their crafts. You see this explosion of extraordinary events, um, this explosion of extraordinary business ideas. Um, Is that kind of the next era that we're entering into, or do do you see another era that we'll be entering into uh, as as the town continues to evolve?
1: Well, I I do uh, welcome this infusion of entrepreneurial energy and generally fairly youthful energy that's uh, coming to South Walton and to 30A in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that 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 is what will prevail here, that Mm -hmm. we will have uh, more and more interesting cultural events and cultural developments Mm -hmm. uh, as the place evolves. We will have solutions to what seem to be intractable problems like traffic and parking that we'll, we'll look back on and say, well, that seems obvious. Why didn't we think of that originally? Or, right. or everybody who now basically complains that the place is uh, mm-hmm. a linear parking lot during the summer and we're too <laughs> crowded and it's uh, reaching the Yogi Berra tipping point of being a place nobody goes to anymore because there are too many people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we yes, we are there in some ways but we will get beyond that. We sure. Will, there will be an ongoing tension between the pioneers and the settlers. And mm-hmm. that, that's just mm-hmm. the nature of all places sure. as they become more settled. The people the last people in want to draw up the drawbridges. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, well, um, if you could wave a
0: magic wand and implement changes uh, across the broader 30A community, that you think would help uh, um, improve, or things that you could execute at will, uh, what 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 sorts of things would you do? What would what would you for for a vision for the broader area?
1: Well, I have several projects that I'm trying to uh, put into motion now that deal with making this place more livable. The first one is very self interested. I'm in my 70s, and I'm looking to make this a place that I and my contemporaries can grow old and comfortably without moving into a dedicated assisted living facility, Mm. which seems like a jail to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think we can create the assistance in assisted living as a set of programs Mm. that deliver Health care, medical care, uh, diet and exercise, and counseling, and uh, various approaches to uh, growing older, uh, aging gracefully, if you will, mm-hmm. without having to move out of our lovely beach cottages that we mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. very attached to. Uh, the other thing is getting around. You know, I'm. Uh, working hard to get as much driving in as I can until I have to uh, hang up my helmet and then maybe a couple of years later just say, well, I've got to give my driver's license back to the state. I don't Mm -hmm. want to be like some of my relatives who kept on driving after they were a menace Mm -hmm. to society. (laughs) But I want to be able to, you know, be able to get around. Sure. We're, uh, I know the, the county just approved a uh, uh, transit study to see if, mm-hmm. if we can create a transit system here that would be feasible, that would allow people who work on 30A to get to work without the expense of driving their own vehicle, and more important, get out of here and deal with a sick kid at school or mm-hmm. whatever they have to deal with mm-hmm. uh, without worrying about being stranded. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we also want to encourage the people who are coming here as visitors to park once Mm -hmm. and then take a Jitney or a uh, little fleet of taxis that will be self-driving, we think, Mm -hmm. uh, and will be called, will be dispatched by uh, an Mm Uber-like dispatching system. And that will enable people to walk by the Hertz counter if they're flying into the new airport right? and get on a shuttle that will affordably get them here Mm -hmm. and then not worry about having to uh, have a rental car to uh, dine out in one of the other walkable communities. All they have to do is get on on the Jitney or on an electric uh, bike share or... uh, call Mm -hmm. up one of these uh, self-driving electric cars that'll get them there.
0: Well, that's the kind of the the big vision stuff I'm I'm talking about. I remember a number of years ago, I read, uh, even before the new airport uh, opened, and- You read, um, I'm sorry. Before the new airport opened, I remember reading a idea you had um, that we need to think about the total experience from the minute people get off the plane and that you could even envision one day People boarding perhaps a boat and going down the Intracoastal Canal and being shuttled to say Eden Garden State Park or some other place and then dispersed to their homes from there and I thought that was pretty wild um, thinking but it also does speak to the need to think about the entire visitor experience uh, so so that kind of idea was that inspired by uh, your your travels
1: or or Probably so. Is, mm-hmm. That's the way you uh, get into Venice. If you fly to Venice, you can walk out the uh, door, front door of the airport, mm-hmm. and there's a uh, Vaporetto, which is basically a water bus. Right. Or a fleet of these beautiful mahogany speedboats that are taxis. hmm And you just get on one of those, and it'll take you to your hotel or your house.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's part of the romanticized part of what you sign up for. It yeah. actually makes it even more exciting and adventurous. Even if uh, there was a more efficient alternative, I think a lot of people would probably opt for the more romanticized
1: version. Yeah, I mean, there. You know the. Uh, <clears throat> it's far more romantic to arrive in Venice th- in Venice that way than to drive your car to Venice mm. and have to park it in this huge parking deck, and then you can walk to Vaporetto, but mm-hmm. you don't have a long ride across the bay. You just The Vaporetto is actually right, on, right off the Grand Canal. So I actually think that the longer ride is part of the uh, experience. There's, there's mm-hmm. an essay in the most recent seaside book that I wrote called Slow Down mm-hmm. and Enjoy the Ride. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it talks about the experience of travel as my grandparents' generation experienced it where they would go to Europe very slowly. They would get a train from Birmingham, go to New York, spend a couple of days at a nice hotel in New York. Then they would get on a, uh, take a taxi to the Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mary, Mm -hmm. whatever it was that was going to take them, uh, to Liverpool or to Le Havre if they were going to France. Mm -hmm. and then. They would have a taxi take them from Liverpool to London or from Le Havre to Paris. Mm-hmm. And each step of the way, there would be people to help them along the way because they didn't travel light. They had huge steamer sure. and stuff. But it was a much more elegant way of well,
0: traveling. Well, it's literally the journey and not the right, destination. It was a journey. The journey case. itself
1: was magnificent. Mm-hmm. And of course, the boat was you know slow, gave you time to get through jet lag. You didn't have jet lag. There, was, there weren't any jets in.
0: Yeah. I think one of the fascinating things about 30A and, and Seaside is that, you know, people I believe people think they're coming here for the beach. Um, but if that was true, there are certainly other destinations on either side of us and all along the coast that offer superior views of the water, um, you know, uh gulf front uh units, etc., something that we really don't have a lot of here. And, and my theory is that you know people are really coming here in some ways uh, because they're a sense of nostalgia, that they're missing a sense of community um, in, in their lives, in their, their their commutes and in their metropolitan life, and that this is kind of a return uh, to, to simpler times. And I think that's something you've obviously constructed um, uh, from day one. Do you believe that's part of what has made Seaside successful? Uh, how important, if, if you picked up Seaside and moved it inland, um, you know, if, if you had started 60 miles inland, do you think the effect would have been the same, or, or do you think that uh, well, ultimately it required the beach to get it
1: going? It helped a lot. To have <laughs> the most beautiful beach in the world right sure. out the front door. But I do think that, as you said, there are places that offer you a more... Uh, immediately obvious connection to the beach through a picture window out of Mm -hmm. your condo. Uh, And I think what we've tried to do here is create a very consciously choreographed set of experiences that do slow you down and get you to enjoy being in the moment, um, enjoy the ride on a Mm -hmm. fat-tired bicycle, uh, and basically enjoy reconnecting with yourself, with your closest mm-hmm. family and friends, and with nature. Mm-hmm. And part of the reconnection is instead of enjoying that picture window view as if it's uh, an image on your television screen, you have a glimpse of the view of the sea, perhaps from your tower or... From uh, mm-hmm. your porch or whatever. But your real experience is leaving your house after uh, your morning cup of coffee and walking down the street, seeing your neighbors. Some of them may be sitting on their porch having their coffee, mm-hmm. having a chat with them, maybe sitting a spell, and then just continue going. And then, you know, we've glorified that experience by having a gateway at the end of each street. That frames the view of the beach mm-hmm. and says, "This is something really special. You're now entering uh, the magic realm that mm-hmm. brought you here, but it's not something that you saw all day on your television screen or your picture window. It's something that you're now seeing in the flesh or in real life, and you're smelling it. You're feeling the breezes on your mm-hmm. on the surface mm-hmm. of your skin." And, mm-hmm you're hearing the seagulls and the sound of children running around and playing. And it's a very different experience. It really does reconnect you with life. Mm And a lot of that is about just slowing down, turning off the phone, turning off the TV. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: If you had to project forward in time, um, uh, a couple of decades, Um, What does Seaside uh, look like, you know, 20 or 30 years from now? What is it, uh, how has it changed, and how is is it the same?
1: Well, I'm not, you know, I I think projecting out 20 or 30 years, Seaside will look much the same as it does now. Uh, We will have a few new buildings, uh, particularly on the beach, where we started with shacks and... Mm -hmm literally built most of it to be picked up and moved. um, Sure. And we're amazed that it's still there. (laughs) 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 It hasn't blown away or washed away or anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the most part, I think you will continue to see uh, the houses, much as they are. There will be a few new uh, replacements of some of the Pioneer cottages that are very modest, with more mm-hmm. ambitious uh, houses. Uh, we will probably have a small five-star hotel that will also run some of the more beautiful upscale cottages. Mm-hmm. But in downtown Seaside, will still be dominated by mom-and-pop merchants. I don't mm-hmm. see us having a bunch of chains here. Sure. Uh, I do think that there is uh, at least some chance that we will be, uh, as Richard Sexton predicted in his um, uh, book, Parallel Utopias, will be a less affluent community Mm -hmm. and that the place will have uh, a slightly different kind of character. Uh, Our grandkids are more likely to be teachers and artists. And if these places mean as much to them as we hope they do, they will want to hang on to them, mm-hmm. but they will hang on to them in a way that uh, they can afford to do with allowing the paint to peel a bit and mm-hmm. tend to rust a bit and allowing them to grow, to develop a patina. Some of the really big houses will become boarding houses or bed and breakfast, which some of the, our grandkids will run instead of teaching school or painting. and. Richard thinks it's actually going to be a much nicer place then, and I, mm. I think it'll be very interesting. I wish I could be around to, to see that development, but uh, I will. Well, uh, we hope
0: you will. We may not hope you'll be driving, but we, uh, <laughs> we certainly hope you will, and we want to thank you for your time. We not only want to thank you for your time here on 38 Radio, but we want to thank you for the gift of Seaside and for the gift of vision that has uh, benefited unquestionably everyone who now uh, resides here. So thank you, Mr. Davis. We appreciate your time. Well, thank you. This special 30A radio presentation is made possible by our friends at Bud and Allie's Restaurant Group, located on the beach in Seaside, Florida.